0: Get Get ready to roll! Purple, get ready to roll yeah. indeed. This is the College Ann Kimball Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Burkhart, Kansas State sits at 2-1, having just wrapped up the non-conference portion of its schedule. The Wildcats most recently dropped a home contest to the Tulane Green Wave out of the American Athletic Conference. 17-10 was the final score at Bill Snyder Family Stadium this past Saturday. And now, it gets real for the Wildcats as Big 12 play will begin for Chris Kleiman's squad. Not shockingly for any of the Wildcat faithful Kansas State will be traveling to open up its Big 12 slate. The Wildcats head to Norman, Oklahoma to take on the sixth-ranked Oklahoma Sooners, fresh off a 49-14 disposing of former Big 12 conference foe Nebraska. And here to help us break down this Oklahoma game and give us the perspective of the Sooners is Peyton Guthrie, co-host of the Through the Keyhole podcast. You can find them on Twitter at Keyhole Pod. Peyton, I wanted to start off just talking early returns about Brent Venables. Obviously, he was going into his first year as a head coach. From the fan base perspective, a lot of sour grapes with the way that Lincoln Riley departed the program, and you have the whole Kale Gundy debacle unfolding just weeks before the season begins. But once the football season actually kicks off, here goes Oklahoma picking up right where they left off, smoking UTEP and Kent State right out of the gate in a couple of easy home games, and then they go on the road and just thrash Nebraska. How are fans feeling about Brent Venables here through three games?
1: Yeah, they're extremely positive. Uh, I mean, here locally in the state of Oklahoma, the, the 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 process and the culture that was being instilled by Brent Venables was something that we were used to as an Oklahoma you know, fan base. And so we thought it would work out. We just didn't know how it would look. Now, we're only 25% through the season, so... There's still a lot to go. OU still has still its, its best teams that will play, uh, you know, on the schedule still. So we still need to see where that's coming from. But for, if you look at it from the national media perspective, it went from OU as a dead program to now you've got CBS Sports and a couple other places saying could OU be in the playoff? So it 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 kind of lets you see just how fickle and how quickly things can change in the in the spectrum of college football. But it was always somewhat foolhardy to think OU was going to be. Quote unquote down just with the amount of talent that it still has on the roster still has you know resides in the halls of norman oklahoma uh but overall it's it's been great it's cool to see him do this stuff it's cool to see him be uh very emotional in his press conferences if you've had a chance to see some of that stuff you can tell he truly truly cares uh, about the program uh my only fear is that we may have to scott frost him if he doesn't win uh at a high level in three years.
0: (laughs) Well, the fact that he's got three wins means he's a hell of a lot further along in his career than Scott Frost. No offense to a guy who just got fired, but we all know Scott's getting a pretty good golden parachute on his way out the door in Lincoln. Um, That's neither here nor there. I I did though, want to circle back to that game for just a moment. Did it, Carry any additional weight with Sooner Nation, the fact that Brent was able to go in to Lincoln and just dominate a former Big 12 conference foe the way that his team did?
1: The old conference rival part, it's cool to see that. Not even just old conference rival. I mean, it's just an historic rival. I mean, you know, Nebraska OU used to carry a lot of cachet in college football. Um, Sadly, it just doesn't anymore. Nebraska is, is in such a bad place um, where it just doesn't match the same level. It's not even a top 25 matchup at this point in time, uh, but Nebraska was a bad team. I mean, I think we've seen it now. Nebraska is a bad team. They've, you know, fired Scott got frost, obviously fired defensive coordinator directly after that, after the game with OU. Uh, so I don't know how much weight that game actually truly has for OU moving forward. The thing that's really interesting to see as an OU fan though, was to see OU, play a bad team, treat them as if they were a bad team, and then beat them by 30-something points. Um, that's something that OU had kind of struggled in the past of separating. Um, OU had the ability to play to their opponent, play up or down. Uh, you know, So you can take some of those highs, but sometimes that, uh, that had some lows to it. Brent seems to have brought a level of uh, stability to the program. It's more of an even keel to a certain degree. Because um, you're right, when Nebraska took the early lead, Uh, OU took one right on the chin, and my thought was, oh man, here we go. It's going to be a shootout, and then it just—it was over in the blink of an eye. Um, OU does seem to have the ability, at least so far, uh, to to take a hit, weather the storm, and um, as Brent said, not play to the scoreboard, uh, but play to their own internal standard.
0: Now, I do have to ask about the offense, because I imagine that Oklahoma fans going into the season maybe didn't necessarily have grave concerns, but were likely a little worried about regression back toward the middle of the pack there because it truly was Lincoln Riley's play calling that helped separate Oklahoma from the rest of the Big 12 conference for the entirety of his coaching tenure in Norman. Jeff Levy comes over by way of Ole Miss to take over as offensive coordinator under Brent Venables. What have your thoughts been in terms of how he's gone about game planning, in-game play calling, just overall deployment of the offense through the first three weeks?
1: Well, I mean, you are right. I mean, OU fans under Lincoln Riley were used to being uh, a top two offense, and very rarely were they number two. <laughs> uh, and then Levy has never uh, coordinated a top ten offense. I believe. I think the highest he was is last year Ole Miss. And I like using SP Plus. Uh, we've had Bill Conley on a few times. He's really helpful in that some of that stuff. Uh, but I don't. Uh, Levy's never quite got there. And then him and his own Baylor connections have kind of left a sour taste in my mouth, uh, to be honest with you. My goal, my hope is that he's very good and that he has a head coaching job in two years. (laughs) So I don't have to keep uh, kind of carrying water to a certain degree. But as you said, Lincoln Riley is a next-level NFL-style coordinator. He is setting plays up quarters ahead of advance. Uh, The issue with Lincoln is that he would never do the boring thing, which was if they can't stop outside zone, let's just run outside zone 30 times. Uh, Lincoln was always tinkering and always toying around. And then once he realized that he could beat a team, then things would start getting wonky because he'd start workshopping. And that's kind of the reason why you wouldn't see the separation at times. Uh, Lebby for his credit is a very boring play caller to a certain degree. He is, if you can't stop uh, Marvin Mims on a dig or a go, guess what? He's throwing 10 of those. (laughs) It's just, it's just what it's going to be and how it's going to interact in that way. Uh, as just a purist of a football fan who just wants to see OU win and OU be uh, effective, it, it's uh, it's it been a, a breath of fresh air, to be honest with you. But uh, there is some lack of creativity at times uh, because of well, – I mean, it's the bear raid. So it, it's speed, and it's getting athletes the ball as quickly as they can. Uh, not as many, like, next-level type of play calls. You're not seeing a lot of layered looks that uh, you did under Riley. But I would say it is, um, if not more effective – uh, just as effective easily as OU has in the past. They're just moving a lot faster, which sometimes means three and outs or 90 seconds. That kind of sucks. <laughs> uh, uh, but they're also scoring quickly in bunches as well.
0: Oklahoma holds the ball for just 24 minutes and 55 seconds per game on average. That's 127th nationally out of 131 FBS teams. But to your larger point there, the scoring has not dropped off in the slightest. Oklahoma averages better than 42 points per game and a lot of that can be attributed to some efficient quarterback play from the UCF transfer. Dylan Gabriel had a very prolific career in Orlando, throwing for better than 8,000 yards. Also came into Norman with an existing relationship with Jeff Lebby. Those two teamed up when Levy was OC for the Golden Knights back in 2019. It's hard to nitpick with his game through the first three contests, seeing that he's hitting 66% of his throws and has tossed seven touchdowns against zero interceptions. But if you did have to needle him in some form or fashion, what are some elements of his game that you would like to see get cleaned up here as Oklahoma gets set to dive into big 12 play?
1: Uh, You're going to see that Dylan Gabriel has a tendency of getting sacked on first down for some very strange reason. Uh, And then he has the tendency to kind of be off target. He'll hold onto the ball a little bit longer. And his deep ball stuff just isn't quite there at the level in which OU fans are used to. That said, OU fans are used to two number one overall picks. Uh, Jalen Hurts, who's a starting quarterback in the NFL. Uh, Spencer Rattler, who's a five-star quarterback. And Caleb Williams, five-star quarterback. And Caleb Williams potentially could win like multiple Heismans. Uh, So it's an extremely high bar OU fans were used to. uh, Uh, used to on a quarterback level. Dylan is um, commendable. Uh, he is playing very well. He is at, a, according to sports reference, at 11.5 yards, uh, attempted yards uh, per average uh, with the uh, uh, the added the to touchdowns and minus interceptions. So, I mean, anything over 10, in my opinion, is elite. So he is playing at an elite level. Uh, just raw statistics, he's at 9.7 yards per attempt. And then if you start adding in touchdowns and stuff, he gets him to 11.5. Uh, so he is an elite uh, statistical player, uh, obviously. Uh, his raw talent, his raw skill set is just not at the level. And you'll see some uh, some high balls. You'll see some late reads, uh, especially if K-State's uh, K- able to get some pressure in his
0: face. You mentioned Marvin Mims, a guy who's very intriguing to me. Had a breakout year as a freshman way back in 2020. Hauled in 37 receptions for 610 yards and nine touchdowns. Going into a sophomore season, high expectations. It's hard to say that he disappointed, but in the same breath, his production more or less leveled off. He hauled in 32 catches for 705 and just five touchdowns. This year, though, he really does seem like he's poised to take that next step forward as he's currently the leader in the Big 12 in terms of yards per reception what did he do during the offseason to advance his game as he looks to be a guy who's likely going to be mentioned alongside Xavier Worthy as the premier receiver in the Big 12 conference?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's currently sitting at 14 catches, 300 uh and 10 yards uh averaging just north of 22 yards uh, a catch, which is fantastic. Uh I don't think he's done anything different, to be honest with you. I think this is the player he has been. Now he has said he has responded well under uh, uh, Schmitty's workouts coming back, Schmitty coming back from Texas A&M, if those who didn't follow along with OU – uh, at home, uh, Smitty was the strength coach under Bob Stoops until Lincoln Riley took over. Then he was replaced with Benny Wiley. Uh, Smitty then went to uh, Texas A&M. Uh, Brent Venables brought him back. Uh, the team as a whole has responded. It does seem to have responded well to him. Uh, Mims is a little more thicker around the core and stuff. He seems like a like he's just this physically bigger. He has said he is like up ten pounds bigger than he was last year, uh, but I don't think he's his him as a player has changed much how he's being deployed has changed greatly under Lincoln Riley. He was your slot or your, uh, uh, or the X guy and basically uh, slot or X. Uh, but basically he was the deep guy. That's all he was. Uh, it, it was a play action pass. And if he was there on that leak route, he's throw it. If he's not, he's not getting the ball. Um, he's not being used that one, your levy Levy's using him on five yard hitches. He's using him on, uh, 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 wide receiver uh, reverses he's using him wide receiver screens he's getting him on tunnel screens he's getting him on outs if it's in the playbook mims is running that route and honestly uh, if you look at how this you uh this bear raid style of offense is run under levy uh, one one receiver gets force fed the football and it's going to be uh marvin mims as this continues he is going to be the engine and if you look at the roster and you look at the if you've seen the tape of them, he is the one difference maker on offense that OU has uh, that does just look different and looks like someone who could compete on a uh, on a true national level uh, compared to everyone else. But uh, I don't know if he's he has changed, but how he's being deployed has changed uh, pretty pretty significantly.
0: Now those Bryles Bear Raid offenses, when they were operating at peak efficiency, they had three or four guys who could burn you. I think back to that 2014 team that had Corey Coleman, Antoine Goodley, KD Cannon, guys that could take the top off of a defense in a hurry. To that point, do you feel like anybody in the Sooners wide receiver room has emerged as a quality number two or three option to complement Mims?
1: The number two, in my opinion, is going to be Drake Stoops. Uh, he's got 80, uh, eight catches for 90 yards. Again, he's not doing anything too crazy but he is a security blanket type guy he's if you want to look at it very very basic level he's your uh uh Danny Amendola Julian Edelman uh Wes Welker type now that may be very stereotypical uh <laughs> coach's son type thing uh but he does get this stuff on the short slants he's getting your five yards if it's a third and four it's going to be a slant for him for five yards uh he is kind of a security blanket there uh next up is Theo Weese, who's not someone who's going to be separating but is dangerous if he's able to settle in some zones uh he's very fluid runner once he has the football but i think it's it's marvin Mims. and if Mims is covered it's going to stoops if stoops isn't if stoops isn't there then the offense kind of gets a little funky at times um if you can cover up those two things the issue though of this rpo style of offense that ou is running now there's not really often they have to get past that second read or I guess technically third read if you're going to a full RPO with the, uh, the extended handoff.
0: The common misconception is that the bear rate is just this constant barrage of deep shot, deep shot, deep shot. And I'm not trying to downplay that element of the offense. You will absolutely see Oklahoma take deep shots against this K-State secondary on Saturday you do have to keep in mind that this is a byproduct of a very concerted effort to run the ball. If you think back to those elite Baylor offenses back in 2012, 13, 14, 15, think about guys like Lake Strunk, Shock Linwood, Johnny Jefferson. Baylor used to pound you with zone read, and they would run that all day long. And after they finally got that look, when those safeties crept up just a little too far— That's when you see the deep shots over the top to those receivers I touched on in the previous question. To that point, Eric Gray, the Tennessee transfer, looks to have filled in quite admirably, at least in my opinion, for Kennedy Brooks, an undrafted free agent who got picked up by the Eagles this past spring. It's hard not to notice that eye-popping number of almost eight yards per carry. Do you feel Gray is truly that dynamic of a runner, or is this just a byproduct of the early schedule against a pretty lackluster group of defenses?
1: Man, you're gonna make me talk about uh the running back. So I I personally uh don't believe this running back unit is a strength of the football team. I think they are kind of base level. To be honest with you, Eric Gray is um is very shifty, very quick, very dynamic. I he does not have that top end. Uh, if you if you've watched him, he gets caught. I mean, he is very explosive immediately. He can pick up the five yards, five to eight yards very quickly. He just doesn't quite have that separating gear, which again, not many. Teams have running backs like that. I mean, OU doesn't have a deuce Vaughn on its roster at this point in time. Uh, but uh, he is very shifty. Uh, this style of offense is much better predicated to him. Um, in the past, he would have to kind of navigate a lot more uh, traffic, basically, to the GT counter as the main staple. The guard, uh, guard uh, tackle counter was the main staple of OU's running game. That can cause a lot of... Uh, Traffic that I guess for teams to have to run through. Uh, if you were looking the past, uh, there was always kind of debate between who was better, Trey Sermon or Kennedy uh, Brooks. Sermon has made it to NFL, went to uh, Ohio State, was you know was the uh, uh, engine for that team uh, for the year he was there. I think Sermon was better. Sermon was too patient of a runner, though. Uh, same thing with uh, Eric Gray, a little too wanting to see a wide open thing. Uh, Kennedy Brooks was. There's a slight sliver of daylight. He would hit the hole as hard as he could, uh, so that kind of worked better for him. This zone blocking scheme that they've adopted with the uh, with Levy coming in has just kind of simplified the the reads for Eric Gray, and it's kind of a one cut and go, and then you can make your cool your cool you know very athletic moves uh, in the second level, where he has more space to operate, and it has done him uh, wonders as as kind of uh, statistically, kind of what I was talking about, Dylan Gabriel. Dylan Gabriel statistically is going to put up numbers comparable to the Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, uh, you know, Caleb Williams, all that type of stuff. I do I don't believe uh, him to be at that level physically, uh, maybe within his talent. I think Eric Grace uh, somewhat similar. He's he's in a role in which he's able to perform really really well. Um, I don't know if he's able to take over a game if that were to make a sense. I don't know if he can be an engine of an offense quite like uh, Marvin Mims could uh, for for OU.
0: That segues nicely into the last question I did want to ask about this offense. The line does have a fair amount of experience coming back. You have a lot of guys, though, that did begin their careers elsewhere. There's a Tennessee transfer, UCLA, Cal, but a number of those players have been with the Oklahoma program now for at least a year, if not more. So I don't think continuity necessarily is a huge concern, but I think that Philosophical change going to the zone blocking scheme, coupled with the fact that you are running an offense based largely on timing with a pretty heavy amount of RPO concepts. How would you grade out how this O-line has performed through the first three weeks?
1: The line's been kind of iffy. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, if you watch the first half of the Kent State game, they were really getting bullied around and really kind of missing some blocks as uh, uh, Kent State was kind of throwing a kind of a junk defense at them, that 3-3 three, three, uh, three stack, which I'm assuming we're going to see uh, K-State uh, deploy as well, as most of the Big 12 seems to deploy this kind of uh, uh, threes up the center of the field. Um, the issue is that the... Uh, the, the zone blocking, the tacklers were trying to get to the edge, which the edge at that point in time would be the corner, so he, they're trying to get that far out, and then one of those run support safeties was then allowed to kind of run through the alley that was there, kind of taking away the choice for uh, the running back, and that's what happened in the first half of that Kent State game. The second half, OU adjusted and scored 26 straight points, uh, and that was mainly because they, they had their tackles kind of turned back to the line and pick up that safety that was coming down that was not inside the box at the at the snap as you know we see this more nebulous style of defenses that uh that the Iowa State has now infected the entire Big 12 with uh, you don't see that safety in the box but then they come into the box prior to snap they have the tackles now waiting for that player and now the running back is having to make a one on one move against a corner instead of a uh, safety that's flying down uh to hit this run support hit that run key that has been helpful. I think zone blocking does is generally help offensive lines produce. Uh, but I think they've been middling to a certain degree. They've been above average, but not to like a Joe Moore level type of thing. It's not like it's a Cody Ford or a uh, Orlando uh, Jones type of uh, offensive line skill talent there. Uh, getting Wanye Morris back really did help and really kind of sh- shuffle the line. Um, and then the left side of the line, which has been somewhat weaker, really stood up against Nebraska – but Nebraska is just a bad defensive team, so it's kind of hard to tell where to take from that. And uh, Kansas State is going to be a much, much, much different uh, test for for Oklahoma to handle on the offensive line front.
0: I can confirm you will see that three-man front on Saturday. Now, quite honestly, I don't feel like K-State fans are gravely concerned about how this Wildcat defense is going to slow down Oklahoma's offense. I think everybody would concede that this is going to be a different challenge in terms of the overall caliber of athlete on the other side of the ball compared to what they've seen through three games. But in the same breath, this defense has looked remarkably sharp. They close fast. They are assignment sound. Tackling really has not been a concern. They forced a number of turnovers. I think this is where every K-State fan feels most confident. I think all K-State fans really, to a person, know that If the Wildcats are going to have any shot in this game, it's going to be because the defense set up the offense with some short fields by virtue of forcing turnovers, winning field position, whatever it may be. The offense for the Wildcats has really been the side of the ball that has not upheld its end of the bargain. And I think that's as good a time as any to transition over and start talking about how K-State's going to need to attack this Oklahoma defense. At a high level, I know Ted Roof is the defensive coordinator, But I was just curious, what level of involvement does Brent Venables have? As just about everybody knows, he obviously coordinated championship-level defenses at Clemson for well over a decade. I have to imagine he pretty well has his claws tied around really every aspect of the defense from game planning, scheme, and deployment.
1: Well, I mean, Brent does take the CEO approach. He has he learned that from Bob and learned that from Dabo. He does let Ted Roof call the plays and everything, but it is... Brent Venables' defense. I mean, born and bred, it is his defense. Uh, Ted is there to be the mouthpiece, uh, basically. Uh, you even see that Ted is the uh, linebackers coach, and that's the position that Brent Venables coaches. Uh, so, I mean, even just in his uh, position uh, uh, duties, more than likely Brent is in those meeting rooms uh, taking taking over some of that stuff. This is a classic Brent Venables defense. Uh, I haven't looked at the overall. Oh man, I, I I I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but. OU is extremely, extremely um, uh, busy in the backfield. A lot of tackles for losses, a lot of sacks. Uh, I don't have their Havoc numbers in front of me, but I would presume to believe is pretty high on the Havoc stuff. And that's, you know, sacks, tackles for losses, passes, defended, turnovers. is uh, being extremely aggressive on that front. And OU's, uh, under Grinch, OU like really hammered on this, get a turnover, you get two turnovers a game, you're going to win 10 games, that whole thing. And I think it was, preach to the point to where anytime it didn't happen the it was it's like when you try to build around the defense over bouncing balls it's tough brent has built the defense around getting a quarterback's face or get into the receiver's face and if you can hit them if you can force the issue things are going to happen <laughs> positive for the defense uh i think that's what you're going to see a lot we're going to see a lot of uh a lot of delayed blitzes a lot of blitzes coming from second levels and stuff because uh, Brent understands it, you, you, your, your team will also be more than likely seeing a three-man front. Uh, I think the key to beat Kansas State for OU is just to make uh, Martinez uh, pass the football. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's averaging under five yards uh, an attempt at this point in time. I mean, Deuce Vaughn is averaging more per carry, uh, so uh, that's it's a, that's not a healthy sign for a pass game. I do think this will will potentially be a rough
0: game to watch uh, it offensively for K State fans. I did check the numbers before we hopped on here, Uh, 12 pass breakups, 12 hurries to go along with 13 sacks. So the point of havoc rate is quite valid. And that is of, of note if you're a Kansas State offensive coach this week. And there are dudes, not surprisingly, at every level of this Oklahoma defense, Reggie Grimes and Ethan Downs have already combined for six and a half sacks coming off the edge. One guy, though, that I did want to speak about resides at the second level of the defense, and that is Kansas product, Jaron Kanick, already one of the top tacklers in the Big 12. Of course, K-State fans know this kid pretty well, thought there was a good shot that he might come to Manhattan, but ended up following Brent Venables initially to Clemson. When Brent took the job, he came to Norman, not surprisingly. What has he looked like here in the early stages of his career? Just because I have to imagine the game's going pretty fast for him.
1: Well, just for Canick, I mean, he's someone um who I was over the moon about. And we had uh one of our uh, uh online sources, Red Dirt Sports, everyone should follow him, a very, very funny Twitter follow. Uh was talking about the Clemson Peace Accords. Uh Brent Venables had said he would not go after any Clemson players that had been committed. Uh he did not you know, he quote unquote did not recruit, did not try to flip uh Kanik from Clemson. Uh Kanik, um decommitted on his own. Um he was not you know, from my understanding, was not promised a scholarship, but, you know, then one became available and all that type of stuff. Uh, so it wasn't like a pressure thing, but just his size and speed alone was someone I was extremely, extremely excited to see uh, commit to OU. It, you do, not often do you get a player, man, I don't have his uh, uh, weight, size and weight. He's like 6'4", you know, 250, something like that, uh, or two, 230 uh, runs you know, in the four fives. I mean, it's just, you don't see those type of players often. Uh, so if you can, you have to grab as soon as you can. Now coming from Kansas playing small ball as he did, uh, I didn't honestly thought he would be someone who would get the four, four games uh, and to keep the, to keep the red shirt available to sure. him. But it does seem like that's not what's going to happen. It does seem like he is in this rotation for sure. Uh, and he is basically as Brent Venable said, um, uh, He's got the uh, fire hose inserted firmly in his mouth and he's blowing and going. Uh, my head coach has horrible thing, has horrible, horrible catchphrases, but that's one of them. <laughs> uh, but Kanik is out there and Brent He's even said, uh, Kanik doesn't even know what he's doing out there yet. <laughs> he's just kind of running around making plays.
0: He's certainly done a fine job in doing so. And it does pain me to say this, but as a native Kansan, I, I love seeing Kansas kids making Big time plays at a power five level. Obviously would have loved to have seen Kanick donning the purple and white, but it's water under the bridge at this point. And I would imagine that when his career in Norman is done, he will have accrued plenty of tackles while rocking the Crimson and Cream. Now, one guy I did want to ask about, and a guy that I feel probably enables Kanick to play a little bit more free and loose, is the linebacker running alongside him, Danny Stutzman. Could you just discuss his game and what makes him such a threat in the middle of this defense?
1: Yeah, Stutzman was somebody uh, who OU fans were very excited about last year. He was very much in the kind of mold. People were very excited about him. He's very jovial, uh, jovial, uh, jovial, whatever I'm trying to say. He's infectious with his charisma. If uh, OU uh, is producing a lot of content, uh, he's on the camera a lot. He's very funny. Uh, At the OU basketball games last year after Riley had left, he's like getting the cheer squad going and everything. Uh, My only fear at that point in time was like, please be more than just a mascot. He has responded to this defense. He is in, he's, his nose is on the grindstone, to, to, so to speak. Uh, He is very much so the heart of this defense, being the middle linebacker as he is. Uh, Him and uh, David Aguibe, David, uh, I always mess his last name up, but uh, number two, the giant uh, linebacker that stands next to him every down. Uh, Those two guys in the middle plug everything up. They're both 6'4 ish, both 250 ish, uh, two giant linebackers who have the ability to kind of take on guards, uh, shed guards, and just cause kind of chaos uh, and havoc. Honestly, OU's linebacker core is much bigger than what uh, Brent Venables usually deployed, especially deployed at uh, at Clemson. So it's a little bit of a different look for a Brent Venables defense to have uh, those two middle linebackers be so big but it does allow OU to deploy a three-man front when they want to and not really lose all that much size on the field because those guys are big enough to handle that.
0: As I said at the top, dudes at every level of this Oklahoma defense, and that should come as no surprise to any Kansas State fan out there. We know the level at which this Oklahoma program recruits on a year-in and year-out basis, and it's going to take a Herculean effort from this Wildcat offense, at least based off of what we've seen from that group to date. If Kansas State does want to go in and pull off the unthinkable, normally this is where we would look to special teams as an area potentially in which the Wildcats could make up some ground and find some hidden yardage and whatnot. But you look at some of the numbers here. Oklahoma has an explosive punt returner of their own. They put Marvin Mims back there. He's one of the leaders in the Big 12 in terms of punt return average. Net punting, the Sooners are second in the conference in that department, so don't expect a lot of favors in terms of field position when the Wildcat defense does get this Oklahoma offense off the field. I think the one area in which both sides are pretty uneasy is the place-kicking game. Oklahoma's kicker Schmidt, a redshirt freshman, is only two of three on the young season. And these have been pretty low pressure kicks for him. How worried are you as it relates to the place kicking position?
1: Oh, I have concerns. Uh, He's even kind of starter step some point after attempts and stuff. Uh, I don't, he hasn't missed any, but it's the, again, OU is used to having NFL kickers on their roster. And this is going to be the first time. I mean, as you guys, I I talked to a lot of different fan bases and a lot of different uh, like national news guys for some of the stuff that we do at through the keyhole, uh, and I always kind of be like, man, OU is under talented. And they have to kind of point out to me like you're like the fifth most talented team in the nation. So <laughs> OU fans are used to NFL players all across their roster. Uh, this is the one one of the times it probably won't be as a field of talent. But if you've seen how Brent Venables has been recruiting, it does seem like that's going to change very quickly once again. Uh, but it is probably the biggest area of concern is just the kicking game. They haven't been tested in any way, shape, or form in a high-profile game. Hasn't had a chance to be uh, for it to be in a close game. As you mentioned in the punt returns and stuff, OU has already eclipsed to, uh, 2021's team in punt return yardage uh, just in three games. Uh, this is a, an emphasis, point of emphasis uh, for Brent Venables, is getting those hidden yards. Um, that, that means sometimes Billy Bowman will take the ball out of the end zone five yards deep, and I'll be very angry when he only makes it to the 21, <laughs> but it is a point of emphasis for Brent Venables to press the action, make something happen. You're talented, go make a play. Uh, so you're going to see some, a little more aggressiveness, uh, on special teams that you're not used to seeing over the last five, six years from OU, uh, in, in, even under Bob, I mean, for a while there was just kind of fair catching everything, uh, Brent does not seem to carry that same, uh, that same aspect. And that might be because he's a, a defensive head coach. He's thinking eh, if something bad happens, the defense has got it. Um, uh, usually the offensive coaches are like just fair, catch it, be safe. Let's get the ball back in the quarterback's hands. Um, uh, but Brent very much so wants to push the thing. But as you mentioned, the kicker, it, it's a weird thing to be worried about, but it's, it's caused Alabama not to win national championships before. Uh, <laughs> it, it could, potentially come back and bite OU as it's trying to
0: get a Big 12 title appearance, in my opinion. You talk about hidden yardage, man. That's our thing at K-State. We need those punt returns. We need those kick returns because, frankly, I don't think any one of us Wildcat fans expects this offense to go in and consistently churn out 70 and 80-yard touchdown drives. I know we would all love to have this be the week in which that group pulls a complete 180 and is scoring touchdowns with regularity, but I can't imagine that's going to happen against a formidable defense like Oklahoma's. And With that being said, as we turn our focus to the game itself, 7 o'clock, Gaylord Family Memorial Stadium, Fox Proper going to be broadcasting this one, big stage for all parties. How do you feel that this one is going to play out, and who's going to come out on top, and could you give me a score prediction?
1: Well, I uh, over on our Patreon uh, through the keyhole, I don't know if how many Kansas State guys want to toss that, but we do have a free podcast (laughs) to go through the keyhole come and listen. We've had some breakdowns of Kansas state this week, uh, for some other, uh, other sites. Uh, this is a team, uh, I picked OU to lose two games in conference. I, I picked them to lose against Kansas state and then at Texas and then a rematch of Texas in the big full championship. Um, I, that's how I picked it. I have to stick with this. This team has been basically who I thought they would be a talented team. That's kind of winning, winning via its overall team talent. Um, uh, it has shown a lot more promise. It hasn't had, hasn't, allowed lesser teams to get into dogfights with them. But K-State is a different thing defensively. Um, So as on our podcast uh, that I said yesterday when we recorded, uh, I have K-State 24-OU-17. That would be a massive, massive change there. Uh, I do think if you watch Levy, he has the ability to get kind of stubborn. The offense can, at times, run itself into ditches. And if that were to happen and K-State were to say, we're going to hold on to the football for 45 minutes. Uh, this may be an issue for Oklahoma. In order for that score to happen, though, it's something like it's a sack fumble return. K-State has a special teams play that pops. I mean, if it if that were to happen, I believe it were to be some uh, some balls to bounce K-State's way. But my official prediction is K-State to win. Uh, it breaks my heart as an OU fan to say that, but that's a, a prediction I made in the offseason, and uh, I'm not a coward, so I'm sticking true to my uh, – courage of my convictions. Uh <laughs> I I, I uh, jokingly called this the Lon Kruger effect. Uh so it's a a former K State assistant not being able to beat the the overall the home school uh to a degree at K State. So that's why I'm going for uh honestly I might be the only OU only OU Homer, uh who's picking it that way. But uh that I said
0: they would. And so that's why I'm sticking with. No K-State fan would turn down that result. I I do feel like you're being a little generous with those 24 points you're giving us there, but I think you're more or less, as a K-State fan, asking this team to go in and execute the script that was laid out by the 2012 squad. You think about how that game unfolded. You had the Landry Jones sack fumble that Jarrell Childs falls on in the end zone for a K-State touchdown. You later on in the contest have Blake Bell fumbling for Oklahoma going into the end zone, so the K-State defense takes seven off the board there. Third quarter, you have Ty Zimmerman getting a pick in plus territory that sets up the Wildcat offense for the go-ahead score. I know turnovers by their nature are obviously going to be momentum shifting, but man, they were just so seismic and shaping the the outcome of that game and helping the Wildcats come out of Oklahoma with the 24 to 19 win you're, you're really truly are going to need that type of an effort from this K- State defense and you're gonna need those types of breaks if the Wildcats do hope to go in and pull off the unthinkable this coming Saturday should be a very entertaining game I am looking forward to taking this one in in person I bought tickets a couple months ago when I kind of had that realization that it for all intents and purposes, is going to be the last time that K-State will go down to Norman and play in Gaylord Family Memorial Stadium. That being said, Peyton, I got to ask, what are some of the spots that we got to hit on a game day, not just in Norman, but also in Oklahoma City, because that's where we're going to be staying overnight on Saturday and Sunday.
1: Well, I'm from uh, Durant, Oklahoma. I'm from southeastern Oklahoma, as I like to call the the real Oklahoma. Uh, I go up the myself myself. Uh, if you're going there, if you want to hit the hits, you got to go to the Mont and get to Sooner Swirl. That's just a classic. Um, they have a good little patio area. There's some uh, other good eateries around the spot. You can uh, down on Campus Corner if you want to go after the game or night before the game. Campus Corner does have quite a bit of options that you can hit up. Uh, if you want to, if you're saying Oklahoma City I would suggest you stop by our title sponsor uh Vanessa House brewery right next to, they're right next to a, a hide a hideaway pizza so you can get a pizza walk to the brewery it's a tap room uh, it's a fantastic place they have video games they have like DND tournament they're not DD tournaments they have like DD sessions and Super Smash Brother tournaments and all that type of stuff it's a really really fun environment they are a title sponsor so I'm gonna to give them a plug <laughs> so if you guys are coming through Oklahoma City, Stop by Vanessa House, Brewery. Uh, tell them the keyhole sent you, and uh, that would make me uh, very happy. Uh, and then on Sunday, we do our live recap show there. Uh, so if you guys are in the area uh, around 6.30 Sunday, Oklahoma City, stop by there as well. Uh, and then uh, if my prediction comes through, hear me uh, rant and rave. How about how OU uh, fumbled away an opportunity?
0: <laughs> a man after my own heart. I am a huge craft beer fan. We will definitely make a point to hit that brewery before we do head down to Norman on Saturday. Peyton, thank you so much for giving us some of your time here and coming on the College and Kimball podcast. Before I do cut you loose, where can our listeners check you out on Twitter and where can they find your guys' content that you do on Through the Keyhole?
1: My my content's fairly easy. It's at, at Peyton Glenn. Uh, it's just my first and middle name. I probably should have had a cooler name than that. Uh, but if you want to follow anything uh, through the keyhole related, uh, at Keyhole Pod, um, all of our written content and most of our stuff does live on our Patreon. Uh, you can follow a link on that uh, on that Twitter as well. It's four dollars a month for everything. We have some written content. Mainly, it's a podcast network podcast group. As, as of this time, uh, we have about four podcasts a week. Um, kind of breaking down the games and bringing in some different uh, status uh, stat guys that kind of tell us about the college football at large and everything. We try to do a little bit more than just cover college football, but we pride ourselves in not being an insider group. This is a fan based podcast. So we talk about things in a hypothetical level. Uh, you you're not going to get me saying oh did, did you see what recruit from 2025 who whose twitter account he just liked i mean i'm not uh, <laughs> shoot me if i have to if i start talking in that manner uh, but yes at keyhole pod myself at peyton glenn and then on my co-host as well alan Kenny which is at blatant homerism uh, a fantastic follow he also writes for the crimson and cream machine
0: Love the guys from Through the Keyhole. I would highly encourage our listeners to check out the Kansas State preview they pushed out earlier this week. I know we all like to think we know our Wildcats inside and out, but those guys do deep dive and provide a level of analysis that the casual fan likely isn't privy to. So go ahead and give it a listen. It's available on their free feed, so you don't have to worry about the Patreon side of things. So go ahead and check it out. You might actually learn something about our cats that you didn't know. All that being said, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this edition of the Up Next Preview series. Justin Etter and I will be dropping our preview in your feed on Friday. Follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. Subscribe to our podcast on whatever your preferred app is. With all that being said, I'll go ahead and wrap this one up the way that I always do. Cats, man. If you know, you know. <laughs>